I'm going to be continuing a sermon series that Pastor Steve's been doing on the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus stops and, and he's teaching the people about how to connect with the Father in heaven in prayer. Now, I want to give a disclaimer this morning because I'm probably going to stir up a lot of questions. I'm not going to be able to cover everything there is to cover about the, the topic this morning. And so it's going to give you some questions you're going to be asking. Just go find those answers to those questions. Those are good, good answer, uh, questions to be asking. But Jesus says, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. And forgive us our debts. There's a lot of different words. You may have learned it as trespasses, maybe. But you, there's a lot of different words for sin that's used in the New Testament. A few of them is like harmatia is probably the most common. And that means missing the mark on God's standard of righteousness. Missing the mark. The other one is peripatoma. Peripatoma is living in such a way, reckless way, that you sin. It's not, it's not mere just disobedience. It's just living reckless and falling into sin. And that's, that's translated as trespass, which is what Luke uses when he's recording the words of Jesus. Parabasis is like, it's, it's translated transgression. It's intentionally stepping across the line and doing something you know you're not supposed to. Anomia is a term, and it's, it's complete rebellion against the rule of God. It's a shaking of fists in the face of God saying, I will never live your way. And then there's the one that Matthew uses, and it's called Ophelima. And it's only used a couple of times, but it usually refers to the moral and spiritual debt. Sin is a moral and spiritual debt that we owe to God, and it must be paid. So Matthew, when he's recording the words of Jesus, and, and he records debt. There's a debt that we owe to God. There's a sin debt. There's a moral debt that we owe to God that must be paid. Sin is the problem. Sin is that which separates from God, us from God. It's our greatest enemy. It is our greatest challenge. It dominates our hearts and minds. It contaminates every part of the human experience. Sin has contaminated it. It is in every crime, every theft, every lie, every cruel word spoken, every word of gossip whispered, every rude comment. Every pain, every sickness, sin has contaminated our world. And it's a moral and spiritual disease for which man has no cure. We have no cure. And here's the even more disturbing part. John tells us in chapter 3, verse 19, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But we don't like light. We like darkness because our ways are evil. So as people, that's a little depressing this morning, isn't it? I look at some of you are going, oh, this is, David, you're hitting me hard this morning. It's, it's, but it's just the truth, isn't it? Sin is, is, is our challenge. It is our biggest problem that we've got to deal with as human beings. And it is a constant, everyday battle. And when you talk about sin, people react different ways. Some people say, there you go again, pastor, talking about sin, trying to make me feel guilty. Who are you to judge me? I'm a pretty good boy. I'm a pretty good girl. I, I don't need you to talk about sin. Other people 
are more religious and and they hear sin and it makes them feel guilty and they go to church 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 and they go to Bible study and, and they serve people and they do this and they do that. And their ultimate goal in life is to hope one day that their good outweighs their bad so when they stand before God they can say, I did more good than bad. And there are those people who are very nonchalant about sin. Eh, sin sermon don't bother me. See, they see sin as a free path. I mean, uh, they see God's grace as a free path to sin. And, you know, David, you told me I was contaminated by sin. There's nothing I can do about it. And I'm just going to sin. It's God's job to forgive me. It's just God's job to do what only God can do, and that's forgive. See, Jesus says, listen, we are to pray, God, forgive us of our debts. We're not supposed to leave it undone. We're not to approach it nonchalantly. We're not trying to earn our way. We're supposed to stand before God in relationship to him and say, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me for my debt. Dodd said, too many times this part of the prayer isn't a genuine desire rising from a penitent heart. It's often a little more than an empty repetition of words by a self-satisfied soul. Sometimes we say those words and they're just empty repetition because deep in our souls we're satisfied. I'm just happy with my relationship with God and the world like it is. Here's some good questions for you. Do I come to the Heavenly Father as one who feels indebted to Him? When I enter the presence of God, do I sense deeply that I have trespassed on His love and generosity? Am I actually aware of the wrongdoing and the wrong attitudes and the wrong motives? See, I know the Bible tells us we're to be new creations. All the old is gone and we're pressing forward towards the new. But that doesn't nullify the fact that we have to deal with the sin that enters into our life, this contamination of sin that's in our world that, that has a daily part in who we are, our constant struggle. And the very recognition and admission that we are debtors and sinners produces within our hearts a genuine humility that opens our whole being to the presence and the person of God himself. Listen, it's when we stand alone and we contemplate all that God did on the cross through his son Jesus Christ that the sin debt should hit us so hard and be so heavy to realize that a God so great forgave a sinner like me. That a God so great would send his son Jesus to die for a sinner. And any person pausing in serious contemplation of Calvary should be overwhelmed with that. Jesus said, forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our moral sin. We're to be broken over our sin. To understand our debt to Almighty God. And the great thing is, it says in 1 John, that if we confess, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. There's a promise there. But we have to ask. And listen, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not talking about wallowing in the guilt that renders us prisoners of our past and to be chained and weighted down with what God has already forgotten. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm preaching this morning. 
But there's a reason why Jesus mentions this six times in eight verses. In eight verses, he's dealing with this six times. Because sin has the potential to hinder our relationship with God. Sin has the potential to get in the way of our relationship with God. So here he is in the midst of teaching people how to pray and how to interact with the Almighty, with his Father and our Father. And Jesus is saying, listen, when you're praying, you're seeking him, you're worshiping him, you're seeking his will, you're seeking his way, you're asking him to give you what he thinks you need. And you're also to clear the air between you and, and God and say, God, I'm sorry for my sin." And that should be a regular part of who we are and what we do. Otherwise, it can, our sin can get in the way of our relating to God. I had a friend growing up who lived out the, out the road a little bit. Um, and one day we'd go fishing, we'd go hunting, we'd do all those fun things together that you do with your friends growing up. Um, and I remember one day I got mad. And I have a little bit of a temper, not much, but a little bit. And I said some things that were horrible. I think I probably punched him in the nose, who knows, probably. But I know I said some things, and that was the worst. And I said some horrible things. And this is a guy I did everything with. I mean, I, I lived my life with this guy. I, I didn't know who I was without him. And the next several days, I was lost. I didn't. He, he's just across the road, but it, it could have been 10 miles. Because every time I would think about it or I'd see him, I would feel this shame. And that shame would just keep me from approaching him and keep me from going over. So until one day we kind of ran into each other in the neighborhood and I, on the road, and I said, I just told him I was sorry. You know, he, he was like, I've already forgiven you. I, I didn't hold that against you. He said, but i just trying to give you your space. See, the, the breaking relationship was from my side. It wasn't really from his. I'm the one that caused all this. And so in my, listen, when I'm living my life and I'm going through and I have sin and I step across the line or I, 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 I fall into sin that I know I shouldn't and I'm living in that sin and I haven't approached God with that sin and said I'm sorry, that sin has a tendency to cause me shame and separation in relationship from God if I don't deal with it. So Jesus knows what he's talking about here when he says part of your regular life, part of your regular prayer, part of everything that you do regularly is to go to your Father and to ask him to forgive you from the debts of sin that have come into your life. And listen, as a believer, I get this. As a believer, we have experienced once and for all God's judicial forgiveness. We receive that at the moment we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. But we still have to deal with the contamination. And we still have to deal with the sin that gets in the way of our relationship. Romans 8 one says, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I know that. But we still have to deal with the problem. And see, when we confess, we agree with God that, that what we're doing is wrong and an affront to Him and a debt that we owe Him. 
why Proverbs 28, 13 says, Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Have you been dealing with your sin? Is confession a regular part of who you are in your life? Can you remember the last time you went to the Father and just sat down and dealt with the sin that's come into your life? What sins have you kept hidden from others? Because you haven't kept them hidden from your maker. I got a little bit of a long quote here, but it's one of my favorite. And please indulge me. C.S. Lewis, uh, I grew up reading him, one of the first persons I read. And he, here's what he says. We begin to notice besides our particular sinful acts, our sinfulness begin to be alarmed not only about what we do, but about who we are. This may sound rather difficult, so I'll make it clear from my own life. When I come to my evening prayers and try to reckon up the sins of the day, nine times out of ten, the most obvious one is some sin against charity. I have sulked, I have snapped, I have sneered, I have snubbed, I have stormed. And the excuses immediately spring to my mind is that the provocation was so sudden and unexpected, I was caught off my guard. I didn't have time to collect myself. And now that may be an extenuating circumstance in regards to those particular acts because they would be much worse if they were premeditated and deliberate. But on the other hand, surely what a man does when he's taken off his guard is the best evidence for what sort of man he is. Surely what pops out before a man has time to put on the disguise is the truth. And this is the part I really related to when I was a kid. If there are rats in the cellar, you're most likely to see them if you go in very suddenly. But the suddenness does not create the rats. It only prevents them from hiding. In the same way, suddenness of the provocation does not make me an ill-tempered man. It only shows me what an ill-tempered man I am. See, you you can try to live in a relationship with God and deny those sins. But if we could flip on the light of your heart, what rats would we see? What sins have you failed to deal with? And here's what I'll tell you. I, I do believe this. I believe if you have not been a person who has practiced ongoing confession to God for the sins that so enter our lives on a daily basis until we reach glory and we're glorified and that's no longer a problem, then your relationship with God is strained. I dare say your prayer life is so very weak. Your mission for God is probably lacking greatly. It's hard to feel the weight and guilt and shame and then not deal with it and then step across the street and share the loving gospel about a forgiving God with our neighbor. Jesus knew what he was doing. He says, listen, you've got to deal with your debt. You have got to deal with your sin debt. Today we're going to open up the altar for, for anybody that wants to come and to kneel and to talk to God about their sin. I know this is a tough altar call because you're saying, hey, David, if I come forward, everybody's going to know I'm a sinner. Well, listen, if they didn't let sinners in this room, I'd be preaching to myself. Some of you will get that in a minute. Some of you may get it at lunch. That's okay.
None of us would be here. And don't let the sin of pride keep you from coming to the Father and saying, I'm sorry. So we're going to open this altar. They're going to play music. They may sing a song. But what's most important is you dealing with that relationship with God about the deadness, the debt that you have with Him and the sin contamination that's in all of us. So come forward. If nothing else, just in humility to say, God, I'm a sinner. I admit it. And I'm sorry. That's such a big deal to deal with that debt problem that we have with God. And I hope that you spend some time at least today talking to the Father about what you're dealing with. You guys ever seen the movie War of the Roses? It's an old movie. It's a disturbing movie a little bit. It's rumored that it was based on a Swedish couple that were going through a bitter divorce. They were in love when they first got married, and then they kind of started falling out of love. He was working all the time, and she never got to see him and didn't feel special. And he canceled one too many holidays. So what she did is he had this big fish tank with rare tropical fish in it. So she goes and she gets a Coke and pours it in his fish tank. So he comes home from work that day and he sees that all his fish are dead. And he knows what happened. He can tell. She wanted him to know what she had done. So he gets very angry. So while she's up in bed, he goes, gets all her diamond jewelry and throws it in the garbage disposal, flips it on. It's all the women. <gasps> no guy cares, right? I get that. Um, that's pretty tough. And so next morning she sees what he's done. She's not very happy with him. And so this is a good bit ago. So she, he comes home from work and his stereo system that he loves so much is floating in the pool. So she's... And, and, that just kind of hit a nerve with him. So he goes upstairs. He lays out her $200,000 wardrobe and pours bleach all over it. Just bleached it out. So while he was in bed, she went down in his rare Ferrari and she poured paint all over it. She poured it in the car, over the car, and in the motor. She did everything she could. Um, he gets up the next morning to go to work, goes down. His car is ruined. And he's, I mean, he's so mad, so angry. He walks in the house and pulls her $180,000 Picasso off the wall and kicks a hole through it. He gets in his car and goes to work. So she walks out of the house that morning. She sees what he did. She calmly walks outside, goes down to the dock, pulls the plugs, and sinks his 38-foot yacht. I hope you can't relate to that. Most of y'all don't even have a yacht, which is good, right? But isn't that just how the world is? I mean, isn't that how we operate today? So many times, um, you say something, I'm going to say something back. You do something to me, I'm going to do something to you. you we, we have a hard time forgiving other people. We have a hard time forgiving those who've done us wrong. We, we hold these resentments and this ill will towards people, and we won't turn it loose. We just harbor that hate and let it grow. We, we allow it to cripple our character. And what I mean by that, we end up doing things that we would never... People go, I can't believe he did that. Yeah. Well, it's because he was so angry and he let it build up. Or she did something. She was so, and, they, and they do things that's out of their character. And most of us aren't even aware of that struggle that goes on with people. We are angry and, and hate on people and we don't even recognize it sometimes. 
And I don't know who said this is a quote, and I forgot to put who said it, but I, I loved it. It said, pride is like is an iron-like resistance of our egos. The great central eye, which stands like a huge steel beam at the core of our makeup, refusing to budge, bend, or be broken. We insist on our rights, defend ourselves, lay claim to our privilege, and hold fast to our positions. Mine, me, and I stand guard, jealously protecting the personal interest and proud reputation. And yet Jesus said, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Did you catch that? As we have forgiven our debtors. That we have an attitude of forgiveness that even before someone does something wrong to us, we are already in the mode to forgive. The attitude that's like Jesus that's consistently and constantly willing to forgive others when they've done wrong. Not looking for ways to be offended, not keeping score, not always looking to strike back, not planning retaliation, not Facebook slapping people. Now, can I just step out of the preacher mode for a second? Please, if you're on social media, don't take your arguments and your fights and your anger towards other people and put it on social media. It just makes you look horrible. It does. I, I see good people sometimes, people, that, people in my family. And, they're, and I'm like, what are you doing? It makes you look horrible to get on there. You don't even put their name in it, but you say enough about the person so you know exactly who you're talking about. Don't do that. Not, not a good plan. But have the courage to start forgiving even as you're being wronged. Even as you're being wronged, have the courage to forgive. If Christ had insisted upon his rights of maintaining only his reputation, if he had taken umbrage at every unfounded charge against him, as we generally behave, there would have been no cross, no sacrifice on our behalf, no forgiveness of our faults, and no reconciliation to God our Father. Aren't you glad Jesus done that like we did? That's why Paul says in, in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Be kind to one another. Be compassionate. Lean towards people. Lean towards loving people. Be kind to them. Be compassionate. And even that, forgive them as they do you wrong. Jesus modeled this for us, didn't he? Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And this is the part even after that that gets me. And they divided up his clothing by casting lots. As he was saying this, they were gambling for his clothes. Jesus, listen, he knew that the heartless soldiers that were hammers in hand, pounding the nails, those who had flogged and beaten him, those who had taunted and spit on him, even those that, that he thought loved him, that were betraying him, he was forgiving them. He was saying, forgive them. Father, they don't know what they're doing. Nothing else 
can so completely shatter self and crush ego, leaving us undone as a real look at our Lord on Calvary. In the presence of the Prince of Peace dying on the cross for me, my petty pride is pulverized. My self-esteem evaporates. The best I have appears as absolutely nothing. I see my sins and wrongs and misconduct for what they are, and I'm able to see myself in proper perspective. And at that point, I am willing to forgive others. See, if we have the proper, there's a reason Jesus said, focus on your sin with the Father, the debt that you have with the Father. You focus on how you have wronged the God of the universe, and then you forgive other people. It's that relationship with the Father and that ongoing forgiveness, that ongoing relationship that's kept open with Him that will then allow you to have a right relationship with other people and to forgive them even as they're wronging, even as they're planning to do you wrong. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. Jesus follows this prayer immediately with these words, and these are some tough words. Verse 14, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive you. Woo! that scare you a little bit? You can interpret around it if you want to. But I think Jesus said those words pretty plain. That if we have a heart of unforgiveness towards others, it shows that we have not been forgiven for the Father. That we have not established a relationship with the King of kings and Lord of lords. That we've dealt with our sin debt problem with the Father if we're unable to communicate that forgiveness to other people. And so don't claim forgiveness from the Father if you can't forgive others. When we were in Charleston, I I looked around and I I peripherally tried to find the Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston. Because I was reminded when I was looking at this sermon, I was reminded of what happened there. And Anthony Thompson, whose wife was shot and killed in front of him, and him standing before his wife's murderer, when the families got to say anything they wanted to, they get their one shot to talk to this guy who committed this heinous act. And Anthony Thompson steps up and looks at this guy, and he's, he's able to say anything he wants to. And he says, you know I forgive you. My family forgives you. But we would like you to take this opportunity to repent to confess and give your life to the one who is the most, Christ. There is a man who has a relationship with the Father. And that relationship with the Father overwhelms his life so much that he can stand and look at the man who killed his wife in front of him and say, I forgive you. Now that didn't erase the hurt and the pain and the scars. And it doesn't excuse what has been done. But it's simply giving what we've been given. And when he was interviewed later about having said that, this is what he said. As soon as I got through saying it, I was free. I was light as a feather. I held a peace 
Everything was gone, and I realized that God had freed me. Free from the pain I was feeling, the anger I felt, the sadness in my heart, he just took everything away and brought me to tears and enabled me to move forward with my life. See, the benefit of that is God heals us, and he gives us a peace that we could not produce on our own. Jesus is teaching us to pray. And he's saying a part of that connection with the Father is that you need forgiveness, but it's also part of that is that you need to be a person who forgives. And it's a direct relationship to how you have been forgiven. Who is it in your life that you struggle to forgive? Ah, man, they could have done some horrible things. Or maybe you just have an attitude of unforgiveness and anybody can do something to you and you immediately retaliate. And that's a part of you that you need to give to the Father. That you need to give over to Him. You need to give Him your grudges. You need to give Him your resentment. You need to give Him your anger towards others. And allow Him to develop in you a spirit of forgiveness towards others. To where you're automatically kind and compassionate, forgiving others just as in Christ God forgave you. So we're going to sing. We're going to sing a couple of songs to kind of end our time together today. We're not going to have any pastors down here at the front, but the altar's here in the middle of our worship. And as we worship, if you say, hey, I need to go pray for this person, if there's somebody that you need to pray for. Say, God, I need you to help me to forgive this person. Or maybe there's somebody that you need to go to, like I had needed to go to my neighbor and say, I'm sorry for what I did. Maybe you're hindering somebody else's walk by something that you've done. It'd be a great time this morning. You know what? You're already in church. God is here. Just take the time. Come pray for those people. Pray for them by name. Or maybe you just want to worship God and say, God, thank you for the forgiveness you've given me. Thank you for the relationships that I have. And you just want to lift your heart and your spirit up to God today in worship. That's okay. So as we sing, you respond however God tells you to respond this morning.